What's up, everyone? Welcome back to The Planet Today. It's Friday, July 22nd, 2022. Um, we're going to start this off on a little bit of a somber note, so uh, I'll, I'll start off first. I'm going to dedicate this episode to uh, two people very special to both Nick and me. Uh, first one, my family had to say goodbye to our dog, Scotty, after 17 amazing years last week. Um, definitely hard, but you know I, I'm very fortunate to have gotten as much time with him as we did. And uh, yeah, gonna gonna miss him forever. Absolutely love that dog. So Scotty, this one is is for you, Nick. On that note, welcome back. I believe you also have uh, somebody you want to dedicate this one to. I just want to dedicate this one to my grandmother who passed away um, on July 11th. And the only thing you need to know about her is she was the sweetest and strongest woman I've ever met in my entire life. Miss you already, Grandma, and love you. All right. Yeah, tough week for uh, for both of us, but uh, on that note, we are going to get right into this show. Today, we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy with two episodes every week coming your way Monday and Friday. All right, so time for our quick hits. It is good to be back. Wow. All right, the first one is by The Hills' Rachel Frazen, who writes Energy Department to fund initiatives focused on barriers to clean energy tech. The Energy Department announced last week that it will put $18.4 million towards addressing the challenges or barriers of deploying clean energy technology. The projects will be funded through a commercialization fund and aim to address the barriers, gaps, and root causes of commercializing renewables. The fund does not target specific types of energy. You know, It's not going strictly for solar, strictly for wind, geothermal, stuff like that. Instead, it's going to try to fix issues that these energies as a whole run into from manufacturing, specific sectors, cultivating talent, etc. Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm said that strengthening clean energy technologies will help the U.S. government battle climate change. She added that accelerating how quickly we can get clean energy tech to the marketplace will allow the U.S. to deploy the clean energy sources needed to combat climate change, lower energy costs, and keep us on course to reaching President Biden's decarbonization goals. Yeah, I think this one's cool. And I think that the way that this fund is going to address these barriers is really interesting. So it's easy to just throw some money at it and say, produce more of a specific part, you know? Yeah. Accelerate manufacturing by hiring more workers. But when they said cultivating talent, I really thought that that was a, a very interesting and it should be a very important part of this clean energy transition, you know, get the best people, yeah. whether it's, you know, the best engineers, the best project managers, the best people at assembling different items that go into solar, wind, 
geothermal technologies. You know, get the best people for this job because anytime you have the best of the best, it's going to go smoother than whatever you have currently. And that's not to say that there's not a lot of amazing people working in clean energy tech, but to get more, that's never a problem. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I agree with you. Cultivating talent is huge in, in literally any field and it will propel you to great heights more than anything else will. Like like you said, blindly throwing money into something is, is not the way to build it. Building it from the ground up, cultivating the talent, that's the way to do it. So this is definitely a, a good way to start. Yeah. And that fund has so many millions of dollars going into it. I mean, 18.4, you could do a lot of work with that. So it's not like that's all going to go into talent. So to be able to address those supply chain issues that every single person who has ordered a part or an item online in the past year has understood, you know, we can address that by dumping more money into this. So I, I really think that this sounds like a solid multiple pronged approach to accelerating clean tech. Yeah, well said. All right. The next one is titled, A Coming Copper Shortage Could Derail the Energy Transition, Report Finds, by Pippa Stevens of CNBC. The renewable energy gods giveth, the renewable energy gods <laughs> taketh away. We had one awesome story, and here comes a tough one. Copper. It's used for electric vehicles, wind and solar power, and the infrastructure that transports and stores energy. Demand for copper is booming right now, and experts are worried that supply will not be able to keep up, which jeopardizes net zero by 2050 goals. The report from S&P Global that raises this concern said that significant new supply is required to reach those goals because demand is predicted to nearly double by 2035 to 53 million metric tons, which is more than the copper consumed in the world between 1900 and 2021. Yeah, an EV uses 2.5 times as much copper as a traditional vehicle, while solar and offshore wind need two to five times as much copper per megawatt of energy capacity than gas or coal. Daniel Jurgen, S&P Global Vice Chairman, told CNBC, copper is the metal of electrification, and electrification is much of what the energy transition is all about. A new copper mine takes 16 years on average to get going, according to the International Energy Agency. So we're going to have to rely on existing mines and ramping up recycling to fulfill some of the higher demand. Yeah, and the article closes by saying that demand for metals and minerals that fuel clean energy and EVs will create new world orders as countries with abundant copper, lithium, nickel, and other raw materials will basically become the new oil producers of the future. Yeah, that part was interesting to me. You know, it's weird to think about how geopolitics will change entirely as we start to consume less coal, less oil, and we're going to start to rely on those countries with copper, lithium, nickel, all those things that go into renewable energy, batteries, stuff like that. So the bad news here is that raw materials can run out if we aren't sustainably sourcing them. The good news here is that using more and more copper is not going to have the kind of atmosphere altering negative impacts as using more and more oil or coal would. I am curious of what kind of copper substitutes might be able to be used, if any, to combat this shortage. You know, they talk about copper recycling here and how that's going to play a big role, but I don't know enough about, you know, using metals and minerals for electrification to say that copper is the only one that can be used. And I'm curious, you know, 
are there substitutes? If so, how do those factor into this? But I don't know. Yeah. And, and like we, we were talking about like gas prices being high and all that stuff a couple of weeks ago. And like, it's one thing to start drilling for gas now, you know, whatever the payoff comes in, let's say five years, whatever. Mm-hmm. A new copper mine takes 16 years to get off the ground. Like that's a long time. And like, especially if we want to really ramp up EV uh, production, that's going to be a tough hurdle to jump, I would say, um, in the in the coming years. Yeah. And I guess that's why, you know, <laughs> recycling is a huge, huge part of this, because like you're saying, that is tough to say, all right, in almost two decades, we're going to start getting more copper from this source. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. using the sources we have and, and continuing to recycle them and getting a longer usage time out of each piece of copper that we use, it's, it's going to be key. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. All right. Our next story is from the Associated Press and it's titled Europe Broils in Heat Wave That Fuels Fires in France, Spain by Bob Edme and John Lester. If you're one of our U.S. listeners, so uh, most of our listeners, you are likely in the middle of a heat wave while you're listening to this episode, unless you're like a couple episodes behind, in which case, come on. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Listen on your own time. We love you. Um, Europe is currently experiencing a record heat wave as well. The U.K. recorded a provincial temperature on Tuesday of 39.1 degrees Celsius or 102.4 degrees Fahrenheit, which is unfortunately a new record for the country. Wildfires in Spain and France have caused thousands of people to evacuate and have required water bombing planes and firefighters to battle flames in forests across Western Europe. Spain's prime minister, Pedro Sanchez, was quoted as saying climate change kills in regards to this intense heat and fire being a glimpse into our future if emissions are not reduced ASAP. He added, it kills people, it kills our ecosystems, and biodiversity. Wildfires and record high temperatures have been reported across Europe, from Portugal to the Balkans, while Italy is still in drought, as Matt and Giselle talked about two weeks ago. Hot weather in the UK was expected to be so severe this week that train operators warned it could warp the rails and some schools set up waiting pools to help children cool off. French authorities had to evacuate several towns, moving almost 15,000 people from areas that are in projected fire paths. This brings the total number of French evacuees from above 31,000 since July 12th. The authors write that climate scientists say heat waves are more intense, more frequent, and longer because of climate change. When coupled with droughts, wildfires are harder to fight. Scientists say that climate change will continue to make weather more extreme and wildfires more frequent and destructive. CNN reported on Monday that here in the U.S., hot records are outpacing cool records by more than 10 to 1. 92 all-time high temperatures had been set this year through July 16th. Only five all-time low records have been set. So globally, 188 all-time heat records have been set this year compared to just 18 cool records. So in the U.S., that's a new heat record every 2.1 days, with a cooling record coming less than once per month at 39.4 days. This is extremely, extremely alarming. And, you know, it's it's tough to look at global heat maps right now and see that it's basically hot all across the world. 
And that's that's what the future of climate change looks like if our leaders don't get their act together. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I feel like this is the first time in a while that we're, we're hearing about it in in Europe and like overseas, like the wildfires and stuff. That's usually more so I feel like a thing that we we hear about here. It's more like a domestic issue that we face. But mm-hmm. to see it happening all over the world is daunting and scary and maybe it will make people come to be together and be like, wow, this really is a, a world issue. This is a global issue. And we have to have global solutions in order to solve it. Yeah. And the scary thing for me is um, I'm going to quote Will Norman at Will Norman on Twitter, who said, people keep telling me that because the UK had a heat wave in 1976, climate change is overhyped. So here's the global heat anomaly map from June 1976 and June 2022. The 1976 heat wave that he's talking about hit the Pacific Ocean off the coast of South America. It hit the Northeast United States. It hit Europe and it hit, looks like, uh, Eastern Russia. The heat map for June 2022 (laughs) is basically the entire world except for the southernmost parts of South America and Africa, respectively. So, you know, every time, every time, every single time somebody brings up, oh, we've always had heat. It's a fluctuating period of climate is always changing. There's science and data to back up why that person is, is frankly, either misinterpreting data or lying. And, you know, in this case, this is really alarming. So if anyone tells you, hey, it's not that big of a deal, you know, you're being alarmist. We should. <laughs> we should be being alarmist. Yeah. Climate change is alarming. Yeah, it should be a wake-up call. This is supposed to disturb you, I feel like. Yeah. And, you know, Nick talked about this being a global problem, this requiring global solutions. Friend of the program, United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres said on Monday that we're faced with collective action or collective suicide. If we don't want more summers like this one in the U.S., in Europe, you know, all around the world— our leaders really need to get their acts together. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's it's time. Like we, we've been saying it on this podcast for how many months at this point, but it is seriously time to just put the BS aside and come up with like an actual plan and stop going to COP26 or whatever and, and making BS plans or, or like speaking on a stage just to speak and not actually taking any action. Yeah. Um, we are going to talk a little bit more about the political side of climate change when we get back from the break. So uh, buckle up. Today, today is a fun one for me. The Planet Today is brought to you by Vala Alta. Vala Alta's Everyday Handkerchief is a high-performance daily-use handkerchief designed to help minimize your impact. Made in the United States from sustainably sourced Irish linen, capturing the material's historic craftsmanship and natural antimicrobial properties, handkerchiefs perfectly balance softness with durability and absorbency with rapid drying. Ideal for functional use in all settings, from the outdoors to routine encounters, their small and lightweight design makes one a must-carry for wherever life takes you. 
Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valaalta.co and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A.co and code TPT. Welcome back to the planet today, folks. And next up, four companies are top sources of U.S. greenhouse gas, methane emissions. Report by Zach Budrick of The Hill. ExxonMobil, ConocoPhillips, Hillcorp, and Occidental Petroleum are the top sources of both total greenhouse gas emissions and methane emissions, according to the Clean Air Task Force and Ceres. Their report used data from the EPA and found that the highest emitting companies produce methane emissions nearly 24 times more than companies with the lowest emissions. These companies collectively reported more than 300,000 metric tons in methane emissions in 2020 alone. The report found that how companies use their equipment was a major problem with emissions. One practice called flaring, which is burning off extra natural gas, created more intensive CO2 emissions. Companies using pneumatic controllers, which control the pressure and temperature of the oil, created 62% of their methane emissions. Methane is 80 times as potent as CO2 in its first 20 years, and has caused 0.5 degrees of warming already on its own. Methane doesn't last in the atmosphere as long as CO2, so climatologists say that one of the easiest paths to emissions reductions and mitigating climate change is to reduce methane emissions. Leslie Feldman, a senior analyst at the Clean Air Task Force, said, This new report makes clear what experts have long known. There are clear steps oil and gas producers can take to reduce their methane and other greenhouse gas emissions. Some are taking those steps while others are not. And federal and state regulations are key to ensuring we can standardize best practices across the industry. As usual, the companies listed here said they are all working to reduce emissions and are all actively doing so already. Um, I'm not going to read their statements here. Until those are all fact-checked by independent investigators, then I just treat every PR statement from oil producers as that public relations, greenwashing, whatever you want to call it. I treat it as bull****. Sorry. (laughs) I hope they are reducing their emissions. I also kind of doubt that they actually are. Yeah, this this is one of those things where it's like, this is a bad example, but like the teacher catches you cheating on the test and she's like, if I see it again, I'm going to take the test away, but you just continue to do it anyway. Like these guys know they're screwed. It's just a matter of time and like they're not actually going to do anything in order to reduce their emissions because they know it's not worth it. Their their industry will not be here in, you know, hopefully within the next, you know, 40, 50 years. And the thing about it, though, is like, are you an oil company, ExxonMobil, or are you an energy company? Because you have the capital, right? Like you can take the money that you have been making, destroying our planet for the past However many years ExxonMobil has been in business, I mean, in the last 50 years alone, they've known about climate change and have been actively spreading misinformation against it. I don't mean to just pick on ExxonMobil. I mean, Shell, BP, they've all been doing this. ConocoPhillips, yeah. like it, it's, it's all of them. But they have made so much money 
over however long their companies have been in, in business, invest that into renewables, right? Like become an energy company at your core and say, we're going to use our profits this year. We're not going to pay out this multi-million dollar bonus to our CEO. Instead, what we're going to do is help the planet by saying, we're going to go put more solar panels out in sub-Saharan Africa. We're going to put more wind turbines out in the United States Midwest. Yeah. We're going to do more offshore wind out in the North Sea in Europe. Like there's there's ways to use your money for the betterment of society and let's call it like it is. Oil companies have not done that. You know, they've helped a lot of people power their homes, which is good. You know, they've put gas in our cars, which is good. But in terms of like net benefits for society as a whole, the oil companies have not been doing that. So here's your chance. Like you want this good PR, then then do something. Yeah, well said. I agree. God, I'm on a mission today. (laughs) You got that dog in you, Matt. What are you going to do? I got that dog in me. You got that dog in you today. What are you going to (laughs) do? All right. Our last quick hit of the week is by Sahil Kapoor, Frank Thorpe V, and Julie Tesirkin of NBC News. They write, Manchin balks at climate and tax pieces of Biden agenda bill, but backs health care provisions. I really don't like this man. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just going to say it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Joe Manchin and his staff told te- Democratic leadership on Thursday of last week that he is not willing to support major climate and tax provisions in a sweeping Biden agenda bill. Specifically, he said he would not support energy or climate provisions or closing tax loopholes exploited by the wealthiest and large corporations. He is willing to support parts of the bill related to drug pricing and a two-year extension of funding under the Affordable Care Act, which is better than nothing. But, you know, as a whole, this press release really sucks. New York Senator Chuck Schumer and his staff have reportedly presented legislative text to Senator Manchin and his staff for months, including major concessions and a willingness to include things that were not in previous bills, according to a source close to the situation. Manchin is the key vote needed for 50 votes plus a tiebreaker vote by Vice President Kamala Harris. Manchin said that he would support climate provisions if they were paid for, to which Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren is quoted as saying, if we make a real commitment on the climate front and we pay for it by making big corporations pay their fair share in taxes, that's going to help us. So we have gone from $555 billion to fight climate change, which was approved by the U.S. House of Representatives, to $300 billion in recent Senate negotiations, to now potentially $0 in funding this year before the midterms. A lot of Democratic senators are pissed, environmentalists are pissed, and frankly, people all over the world should be pissed at Joe Manchin. And I saw something on Twitter that I really want to point out here. So somebody asked somebody else, I don't remember their names, I read it in passing, but why are we, you know, we being environmentalists attacking Joe Manchin for this instead of people who are on the other side of the aisle? you know, the people who are actively denying climate change. And the reason being, I expect that out of them. You know, I'm not going to go to Ted Cruz and try to get this man to vote in the Senate for climate change mitigation money because he's not going to do it. Yeah. Joe Manchin might. And Joe Manchin, in theory, should be negotiating with his own party and saying, look, I might not agree with this, but I recognize this is good for us. This is good for the country. So, cut a deal with me on something else, which which 
Chuck Schumer has allegedly been doing and Manchin's just ignoring it. So we could talk about this for a while. Instead, I want to post a clip from our October 29th, 2021 episode where we broke down why Joe Manchin sucks and what our future and our planet's future is worth to him. We could talk about the cost of climate inaction if we do nothing. Instead, let's talk about how Joe Manchin is a coal baron who makes roughly $500,000 per year in dividends from millions of dollars of coal company stock that he owns. He started a company called Enter Systems Incorporated in 1988 that was sent to a blind trust once he became a senator because it would be a conflict of interest to manage a business while also making policies that impact that business. That blind trust is being run by his son. So I still think that's a massive conflict of interest. Wowie. I, hey, I am not into calling people out on the show. Just kidding. I do it every sing, <laughs> single week. Um, but wowie, Joe Manchin. How about that? I didn't even know that. That's insane. So add that $500,000 per year onto this statistic from the NGO Public Citizen that Manchin has received $730,620 from the oil and gas industry. Professor Michael Mann of Penn State called Manchin, quote, a modern day villain who drives a Maserati, lives on a yacht, courtesy of the coal industry, and is willing to see the world burn as long as it benefits his near term investment portfolio. Personally, I see no lies here. Yeah, this, this guy just sucks. It's, it's like, I feel like he's just waiting for people to line his pockets um, in the other direction to be like, oh, please don't vote on this in the other way. <laughs> and for that reason, he is the ultimate villain. Um, Joe Manchin. <laughs> this is my Joker origin story. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right, this was this was a very hard episode for me to get to. I've just been fired up. Like, I, what was it? What was it? our first story? Was good, man. Like, this started off so good, and then just. Uh, all right, let's, <laughs> let's 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 end this. Let's end this before I I go absolutely buck wild. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, that'll do it for today's episode of TPT. On Monday, we're going to be back for a feature story episode. Yeah, so we're going to be talking about how climate change impacts armed conflicts and climate refugees. Until then, please go give the show a five-star rating and a review wherever you can. Follow our socials at Planet Today Pod. Send us an email at planettodaypod at gmail.com or follow me on Twitter at Matt Norden. Nick Janusa produces our show and makes all of our music that you hear throughout. Nick, where can people hear more from you? You can hear more from me at soundcloud.com slash Cape, and that is B-U-D-L-Y-N-C-A-P-E. Go check me out, y'all. Our logo is made by Kaylee Veets. Have a great weekend, everyone, and we will catch you right here on Monday. Peace.